the emphasis on engagement, on receiving likes, giving likes, having shares, is calibrated in such a way that when you open Facebook, the number of notifications isn't there instantaneously. And when you click the Twitter app, Twitter doesn't open instantaneously. The number of milliseconds that it takes to do so is tailored to the amount of time it takes you to, like a Pavlovian dog, wait, get an expectation build up and then have that relieved and satisfied by the by seeing the notification which gives you a little hit of hit of dopamine just like the pause that a poker machine puts in before it tells you whether or not you've won or lost you're no longer actually interested in your niece's photos from her holiday what you're interested in is for some reason opening it because you feel like it because to not open it would leave you with a few moments in your day when you're not doing anything and you don't want to be confronted by the dark eternal blankness of your soul so you distract yourself with this little jingly thing like a cat chasing a laser pointer that is radio and tv broadcaster and occasional stand-up comedian josh zepps And this is episode 274 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Welcome to the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. This is episode 274 of the show, um, where we welcome back Mr. Josh Zepps. Very happy to have him back on the show. You can find him on Twitter, J-O-S-H-Z or Z-E-P-P-S. More about Josh in just a moment. If you're new to the show, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. What is this? This is a podcast. What is this podcast? This podcast is a weekly conversation that you get to be a part of that will hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Now, sometimes I'm going to speak to someone that you know. Sometimes I'm going to speak with someone that you don't know. No matter who I speak to, I guarantee that you will hear something in the next hour and a bit that will help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that will make you go, no, I didn't think about that like that before. That's interesting. Something you can work into your program, into your routine. That will hopefully help you make this day feel a bit better than the last. And hopefully, Josh will give you a chance to think about things in a different way. I guess, challenge in a good way, maybe have a few different thoughts about how things might work differently sometimes. That sure happens every time I speak with Josh um, on his show, on my show, on his podcast or this podcast or just socially. He's a, he's a man that challenges my thinking and I appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. I have to say a massive thank you to the Google people who've already booked tickets to the shows coming up. On our quick spin on our regional tour, Canberra, Wollongong and the Gold Coast, thank you so much. All gigs are on sale right now at osherginsburg.com. All gigs are meet and greet, all gigs are book signings. Um, Cannot wait to say hello to you and tell a story and sing some songs for you. Uh, I really, really can't wait to do those gigs. Thanks, everybody. As well, I've got in touch this week. You can get me, send Osher email at gmail.com or hit me on the Facebook group, osher.is slash fbgroup. A quick check-in this week. Um, I told you I'm going to a new shrink. Yeah. I'm going to a new shrink, and um, if you're new to the show, hi, if you're new, hi, I'm Osher, I have a slightly different brain, one that was quite sick at one point, um, I'm in the process of recovery from that, I read a book about it, if you're interested, um, but yeah, I um, I started with a new kind of therapy the other week, we've had people on the show talk about it before, it's a kind of therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, so far I've been pretty good, things are shifting slowly, 
had a shift, shifting slowly, which is which is kind of good. Like like all these things, and I noticed this in my sobriety as well that things changes, big changes don't happen with a chorus of angels. Like the, the clouds don't part and the light doesn't come down upon you and suddenly everything's different. You just there's no aha moment. Just something happens and then you get on with the next thing and you look back and go, oh, hang on. I normally would double over in pain or have this horrible spasming moment or, or need to like poo my pants or something with anxiety when that happened, but that didn't happen this time. Well, that's interesting. It, it, that, that's been happening. Or well, like 20% less than it used to. Like it's a, a significant amount. Then right? it, it, it feels less every time when it does happen. And um, so I've been doing, I told you last week, I'm doing a lot of homework um, for the therapist, a lot of work, and that's fine. But it's shifting. It's shifting slowly, slowly. It's been about two and a half weeks, three weeks. Slowly, slowly, shifting, shifting, very slowly. But it's, it's definitely different. And I notice that because I write it all down every day and I notice that it's all going along, you know. It's important to keep track of it, I guess. Like you would jump on a scale, you know, to check your weight if you're trying to gain weight or lose weight. And the same way I write it down every morning and see where my head's at. But I do, look, I need to keep doing the work and that's just a part of it, you know. Just like I need to train my body every day if I want to maintain muscle mass or flexibility or any kind of cardiovascular fitness. I've got to train every day or, you know, have a rest day every every couple of days, but definitely train regularly. And if same similarly, I need to train my brain every day to gain and then also maintain resilience and rationality, I guess. And um, yeah, so, so far things have been working okay. So, But it does take work. It takes work every day. Like I told you, written work, practical work every day. Um, I move my body through a series of motions every day. Why not move my mind? Move my mind as well, you know. So, so there's been a bit of a shift, which is which is good. Um, I saw my psychiatrist this week as well. So I I still because I'm off meds now for 15 months. So I still check in with my psychiatrist every month, every six weeks or so. And it was interesting because I, th- I I thought I had a month break, but I actually had a six week break. So I thought I was going to see him two Thursdays ago, but I, I didn't get a chance. I was like, oh my god, it's not for two more weeks, and I was I was having a hard time so I emailed him to this email address I had for him and I emailed him and all the fluff and it's like oh maybe I could get you know can I get something to help me sleep maybe I need to go back on meds again I was I was quite overwhelmed when I sent the email but he never got it he never got the email because I sent it to an old email address of his and what that meant was I just had to sack up and do the work that the psychologist was telling me to do which actually turned out to be a pretty good thing because it was all that I had I just had to do the work and and be with the discomfort you know, we just noticed the discomfort when it was there. And it actually worked out. <laughs> so it's working out, which is all right. But that's all a part of it, you know, because, you know, when I think about what was not working, what was not working was fleeing from the fears and fleeing from the triggers. And what is working is choosing the path of resistance. When I say resistance, what I want to say that resistance, I mean like, well, like lifting a heavy weight. And then your body gets stronger and stronger as you, and adapts to the weight. And soon enough, that weight is easier and easier to lift. So at first, you know, the, the work that the psychologist is asking me to do is hard. Some days I don't feel like doing it. Sometimes I'm confronted by it. But when I do do it, I know that I'm getting stronger in my mind to deal with the things that do trouble me. And slowly but slowly, bit by bit, I become more and more capable. Because, you know, that's how we build the house, man. We build the house brick by brick. We've got to do the work. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So let me tell you about my guest today. Josh Zepps is a TV presenter, he's a radio broadcaster, he's a stand-up uh, based at the moment in Sydney, Australia. He's currently working on the ABC, presenting the weekend breakfast on ABC News, and he's heading to do a stand-up comedy show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Uh, Josh and I have worked together a few times in our careers, which has been great. He's uh, become a, a mate, and he's a lovely bloke. Very, very, very clever man. Um, he actually worked to the same selective high school that my wife did <laughs> a bunch of very smart people um he josh went on to have a far more successful career than me uh with his award-winning satirical radio work his work as the founding host of huff post live based out of new york city and his podcast we the people live josh has a, a show coming to the melbourne international comedy festival hashtag u2 uh, you can get tickets at comedyfestival.com.au. He's a very clever man. And we do go into some interesting discussion here about the use of psychedelics. I don't recommend you take psychedelics, but it is interesting listening to him talking about them. Um, if you do like the show, please let him know. He's on Twitter, J-O-S-H-Z-E-P-P-S. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Josh Zepps. How are you, Josh Zepps? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm great. What, and now, but hang on, before we actually necessarily put this to air, you said you were sort of okay and you'll tell me upstairs. Oh, yeah. How yeah. are you doing today? Uh, something no, like, something I've wrong? Been, should I no, be aware of something? And may, well, maybe we, no, we should talk about this. Yeah. Um, when you, and I'm sure it's quite common, you know, I, you know, wrote a book about being quite ill for a while, slowly getting quite better. And then I talked to my psychiatrist about this about a month ago and I said, um, is it normal for you know relapses to happen when babies come for people like me? He goes, right. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the moment that, you know, the, you know, even though, you know, we have a teenage daughter and mm. you know, there is that extraordinary responsibility in my life already it's it's like now it's been ratcheted in again yeah you know because certainly it'll all come i mean it'll all come flooding back well i mean since we're immediately hitting the uh, hitting the big stuff at the very top of the show uh i should also reveal i mean we had a very rough time my partner and i when 
we had kids 17 months ago, the first sort of five or six months, I that sent us both into something. Really the first time that I'd ever had uh, mental states that were catastrophically debilitating that I couldn't get out of. And I time healed that and the and the children growing up and 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 getting more sleep and a little bit more love in my life uh, healed that without without needing intervention. But I definitely feel that that con- that confluence of events that happens when a baby arrives is yeah. like I mean postnatal depression is a very real thing for boys as well as girls, ladies and gentlemen. I'm we're six months out. Yeah, I know you. Are. I know you. Are. I'm just watch. saying, get ready, get ready. No, we're six, six months out. Think this watch. is bad. It's going to get so much worse. I think it's the. I just think it's the. You know the. Okay, look after me, look after Georgia, look after Audrey. Okay, time frame, geez, I could probably about, you know, she'll be 30 in 15 years, I'll be 60. Okay, I can do 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and now it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. another, you know, there's another 10 on that. Yeah. And I got it, you know, because, and certainly it's like anything when you, how am I going to stay sober for the rest of my life? It's mm. simple. You just do it a day at a time. Bad question. Yeah. yeah you just, can't. If you look at it like, you know, how am I going to eat as a celiac? How am I going to mm. eat for the mm. rest of my life? Mm. A meal at a time, you know, yeah. so how, how am I going to do this? Like I do fucking everything else. Yeah, exactly. You know, in 20 and minutes. also you only ask that question about things that you're not sure that you want to do. Things that you want to do, like, you know, if you like skateboarding, then you don't ask yourself, how am I going to go skateboarding every day for the rest of my life? I mean, you just do it in the, in the, in the same way you just don't drink. For, you know, yeah. everything happens per day. It's like I remember someone saying to me, oh, I can't be bothered going to the gym. I can't believe people who go to the gym. Like, and I was like, well, what do you, why, do you, why do you hate it so much? And they were like, oh, I mean, I have to get out of bed and I have to get out of my pajamas and I have to put on my, my gym outfit and then I have to go to the car and then I have to drive to the gym and I have to park and I have to swipe my card and I have to go in there. And I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on. When you go to the beach, what do you have to do? You have to get into your swimmers, you have to let, get, go outside, you have to get in your car, you have to drive your car to the beach, you have to find a park. It's probably even harder to go park at the beach than it is at the gym. And you don't whine about any of that because you're like, yay, we're going to the beach. Everything is a series of stages and processes. Everything, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, just baby steps. Everything's baby steps. Well, there will be baby steps for here for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I don't, no, don't get me wrong. Like, it's something I definitely want to do. Yeah. There's no shadow of a doubt. Like, I want to do this more than anything, as mm. I'm sure you, you and your husband did uh, around wanting children. I, I, you know, I, ah. <laughs> But uh, I'm only half joking. I mean, I think I think yeah. if people are listening to this and they're not sure if they want to have children, but they've decided to, that's fine too. Yeah. Once you're pregnant, then that's going to happen probably. Yeah, you'll you figure know, it out. Touch wood, and you'll yeah. something will happen. Yeah. It's well, be interesting. And, and that's the thing. And I, I tell Audrey, you know, I'm actually, I, I, I'm grateful for what's happening to me at the moment because I'm grateful to be challenged like this now, so that I can take the steps I need to to get stronger. And put management strategies in place mm. that will make sure that I'm, you know, a stronger human overall as I go on with the rest of my life. You know, and, and that's that's the only way I can I can look at it. I can't look at it as like, I can't believe it's happening to me. I can't believe my anxiety is coming back. I can't believe it. I had four hours sleep last night. It's like fuck. You know? Four hours sounds great to me. I've got seventeen month old twins. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally at four in the morning are just like, it's time to party! <laughs> Let's go! Twins, man. Bloody hell. Mm. That's a lot of babies. 
Do you have a bed that I could maybe could we could we do this in some kind of a sleeping fashion? Could I be could I just close my eyes and curl up How about on the floor? You have a nap. You put the microphone next to my face. <laughs> How about you have a nap? Just ask me very easy questions. <laughs> Real easy questions. And I'll just start speaking like this. <laughs> you know what, Osha? It's a really good question, which I will come to after just a little bit more <laughs> sleep. <laughs> Just said, if you're driving, please don't, please pull over while Josh lullabies you to sleep. Oh man, how have you found the re-entry to Australia? Last time we spoke, you were uh, still living in America. Mm. You were on the show a few times. I think you were my first triple. Am I a tripler? Yeah, I thought I was a doubler. You've been on before. Yeah, and before. Oh, I didn't realize that I was on twice before. I'm pretty sure you've been on. Okay, before. great. Hang on, let Excellent. me check the podcast feed. I was on. <laughs> I forget times when we've just Is this an opportunity to... for a nap now? No. How long is it going to take you to check the feed? <laughs> I forget the times that we've just got to talk. I, and, yeah, and... exactly. That's right. Uh, I, I definitely remember taping one in, in Los Angeles probably two years ago. Oh, no, no. It's only one. Yeah. It's your second time. Yeah. Then the, okay. There must have been another show that we did. That well, that I had you on my podcast ah, probably. Getting confused. Yeah. Too, I mean, everything is just a gigantic circle jerk of podcasts at this stage, isn't it? That's it's just a bunch okay. of people on the same podcasts as each other. It's okay. You do my podcast? I do your podcast. It's, like, podcast? it's like Hey, the you rap- want to do a podcast? Sure. Can you do my podcast? It's like the rap game. It's just, you know, the same producers with the same rappers just in different combinations mm. releasing. And the same with the EDM world. It's the same producers with the same DJs with the same singers. It's everything's in different combinations under different pseudonyms. But we're going to do something special and original here today, Asha. Well, I don't know, I'm just saying. Oh, we are? Well, so I don't know what it is. Oh, right. But this is going to be a unique <laughs> and delicate flower. This is going to be a snowflake unlike any other. I think we've already given them a lot. Uh, yeah, is that it? Is that a wrap? Can I go now? Uh, no, no. I'm very tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, last time we spoke, you were you were still living in America. Yep. And you were, you were there was talk that you'd been moonlighting. Uh, back and forth to Australia. Yeah. You've been pulling the summer gigs, which yeah. is the, uh, the work. I mean, there was talk. I'd been, I was on the nation's broadcaster, the ABC. This is it, true. This was not a rumor. No. That but needed there was talk of your relocation. Oh, I see. What I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. You'd been doing the summer gig, which, as we all know, is the work experience of That's Australian right, radio. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. They give if, it to anyone, basically, when everyone's off over yeah, the summer and, on radio. And you just watch. Whenever you see Instagram posts of your favorite breakfast radio hosts going, here we are. What they're doing is using their phone to listen to the fill-in show to make sure they're not better <laughs> because you can easily, very easily, come home to no job. Is this from personal experience? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, when you, Although the ABC never fires anybody, really. I mean, the ABC, once the people are there, they're just there until they, you know, I've basically, I've, what I really should do is go into the car park and sever the brakes on Richard Glover's car mm. so that he careens off a cliff in a tragic accident yeah. and then I would get the drive show. Is this in the Richard section of the car park? Because I'll do Feidler. Because <laughs> it's alphabetical because it's the yeah, ABC. Yeah, yeah, it's right, the alphabetical right. is the only way to sort alphabetical it. Alphabetical by first name, Richard yeah. Richard. So the proletariat doesn't get upset. you got Kingsmill, you got... <laughs> 
<laughs> Kingsmill, Fightland, Glover. They're all there. They're, They're all, all there. there. Yeah. And so then, the cars are actually stacked on top of each other, like in those ones which you need to get a machine to move down. It's like a, they've got a car elevator in the Richard section of the MSC car park. <laughs> it's the dick, dick part of the car park. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll do, I'll do okay, Fightland. You do Glover. Yep. And then Kingsmill can watch on. Yeah. yeah I like it. Uh, so, yeah, long story short, I was coming back from, oh, hello, Frank. Isn't that nice? I'm getting a little doggy lick on my yeah on my. Uh, it's good when he cuddles my guests in the middle yeah. of when they're telling me something quite intimate. Yeah. It's really quite lovely. He's yeah. bad when he barks at stuff I can't mm. hear because I'm deaf when they're telling me something quite intimate. Yeah. Also, he has superhuman hearing because he's not a human. Yeah. He's a dog. And he wasn't a roadie. Or he worked That's in radio also for tw- true. Yeah. Or worked in radio for 20 years, yeah. so he's not me. 20 years worth of hardened wax accreted to his and eardrums. Just destroyed nerve endings from right. hands that were too loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's mainly it. All of the above. Uh, so, so, how have you found? How have you yeah. found your reentry? Because I've I've moved back, and I, and I you know I've talked about this quite a bit. So I think it was a confluence of factors, you know, led by, oh my goodness, who are these two women, Georgia and Audrey, that I could live a life with, and I'm having the most fun in the world hanging out with. There is no television job that is more awesome than this. I'm done. I'm mm. out. Mm. And then at the same time of like, there's the cops are shooting a coloured-skinned teenage boy every week, unarmed. Yeah, but you're not one of those. But but no one's doing anything about it. You're living easy. Every second week. Easy breezy. Every second week there's a school shooting and there's thoughts and prayers. Yeah, but you don't go to school. And that's it. There's thoughts and prayers. And then and the same, I think, like within a a week or two, Trump was the Republican nominee. Mm. And I'm like, I don't want to be in a country where he wins or a country where he loses. Yeah. Time that was part of it for me. I was uh, I was in New York for for twelve years up until last year, and oh, up until about a year ago. And uh, so that may, that means that I've spent I spent more time living in New York City than I did in anywhere else, including in Australia in my adult life. Um, and uh, I had come back quite a lot, as you say, to do you know occasionally I'd be invited back to do a pilot for a TV show or to do radio stuff. And so I, it wasn't like I'd never been, but the act of actually kind of moving back here, which was partly because I was offered a position at the ABC and now I have a, a weekly show on Radio National and I present um, the weekend breakfast show on ABC TV on the weekends and fill in for about three months on ABC Radio Sydney. Uh, and so that package was just enough to make me think that if I am going to continue reporting on the news and having conversations about what's going on in the world in a country that is tearing itself apart over the president, regardless of whether or not you hate or love the president, that a president that who is so volatile and so um, divisive that it would do something corrosive to my soul for the next four or hopefully not eight years and that was part of it plus the plus the fact that we were going to have kids and we we'd always thought that australia is a, a magical place to grow up i loved growing up in australia and growing up in new york city would certainly be more challenging yeah you know getting down the subway steps covered in ice with a an eight month old is something i'm glad i didn't have to do plenty of, and it's no wonder that new yorkers end up the way they did you know what assholes because <laughs> that just dealt with just Done yeah. that every single day. I live in a like I'm lucky to afford a six-story walk-up 
yeah. bush in Bushwick. You mean one cupboard yes. on the sixth floor yes. of a walk-up in Bushwick. And, and I've got, you know, this is where we're going to raise our two kids because yeah. this is the closest we can afford to where work is. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, uh, look, it, it's a totally different place and I think nobody likes the Aussie expats talking about their time abroad and their perspectives on Australia. Australians are very thin-skinned about our country, I think we have a we have a chip on our shoulder about it. We instantly become defensive whenever anyone says anything about the rest of the world maybe having attributes that Australia doesn't. Mm. So I try not to talk about it. I because, talk about it all the fucking yeah, time. Yeah, I know you do. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I talk about it all the time because for <laughs> no, me- No, but you don't talk about how much you loved LA because LA is not a place that one really loves. LA is a place that one kind of sits in and hovers around and flitters to and from and hopes that something will happen and everybody's just wandering around scratching their bums hoping for a big break. Uh, like, I don't get the sense that you were passionate about LA in a way that I you weren't about Australia. No, I don't talk about- I'm passionate about places like Amsterdam- I'm passionate, mm. like the Netherlands, like as a country, as a culture, as a country that, you know, where it invests money in infrastructure and social services. I'm passionate about countries like Japan, who, as far as infrastructure goes, you know, with a colossal population, you know, how things are managed there and the culture, the interpersonal culture between strangers that allows that society to exist. Mm. Um, there's many things that our country could take from like great ideas from around the world, take 80% of it and go, yeah, we'll throw a bit of Aussie on top and boom, it's our idea. <laughs> you know, it would be... Like the very fast train. I mean, that's a Japanese bullet train, but with a name that's much more Aussie. But we've it's had It's very that. fast and it's a train. I've seen that. It's a very fast train. I remember watching debate about the VFT yeah. 30 years ago. Yep. And she's coming along very nicely. Thank you very much. It is mind-boggling yeah. that uh, Japan, less than 20 years after having, it was fucking nuked. Mm. Twice. To the ground, burned to the ground mm. and humiliatingly defeated by the world. Less than 20 years later, they had trains that could do 250 kilometres per hour. But that's not a contradiction, I don't think. I think that's causally related. I would say so. You're you know, in building, it's like, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Well, also in the sense that, I mean, you know, when when Donald Horn coined the term the lucky country for Australia, it was not a compliment. It was intended as an insult. It was intended to mean we are the country that has that is able to coast along in mediocrity because we're so lucky because we're blessed with fantastic mineral wealth, incredible climate and and terrific agriculture and an enormous amount of space for a very small population. So we're just lucky and blessed and it, it enables us to not aspire to anything because we don't have to, right? <laughs> you know, you are Japan coming out of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. You'd better fucking pull your shit together. Otherwise, there's nothing, you know. That, so, I, yeah, it's a... Our, the ex, the excellence of places like Japan that you admire is born out of something much tougher than anything that Australia's ever had to experience. But I think that's the thing that hurts a little bit is that we as humans, people generally don't turn around and get their diet together before the heart attack. Mm. They usually have that massive trans. Oh, have you seen Jeff? Look at him, mate. Look at mm. him go. Mm. But Jeff had to. He's got two stents in him. Yeah. You know, Jeff had to get the gastric band and and lose fifty kg mm. because he had that horror moment, that near death. Mm. moment mm. um but for 10 jeffs there's one stew who saw mm. it coming and mm. made the intervention earlier unfortunately we have to wait till we're all jeff <laughs> you're a stew though i'd like to think so yeah you strike me as a stew i'm definitely a jeff 
you wait. I wait. I mean, I, my philosophy on life is why would I do my taxes any time before the day before they're due? I might die. And then if I die, I will have, I will have wasted a whole weekend doing taxes that I didn't have to have done. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle the, the, the hovering of it. Oh, no, thing. I love the hovering. I can't deal with how it. Many email, how many unread emails do you have on your phone? Um, I try to take care of them pretty quickly. Okay, let's. What? What? Do you, can you see up the up the top there? Oh dear God! Okay, so what Josh is showing me is um, he's showing me the little red badges on the top. Yeah, on my iPhone. iPhone. Okay, the mail. So missed calls twenty two. That's pretty good. Two settings. I'm guessing that's two software updates you've missed. Yep. And one hundred forty seven thousand emails that you've not responded to. 140, yeah, 100, no, 146,958. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> How do you do that? See, though, I like that. I like because what that, to a lot of people like you, that is a stressful number. To me, that is like, just look at how many assholes have tried to ask some bullshit of me that I didn't have to pay any attention to, that I could have wasted my time with and had the tenacity not to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm defying him, Osha. Oh, it's my little victory. I remember there was uh, when I went to that business school in Amsterdam. They showed they were describing the two different kinds of people that you yeah. know that you'll be because <laughs> it, was, it was a creative leadership course, and right. they were describing the two kinds of people that you'll work with. And they just showed two phone screens, and one mm. of them looked like mine with no mm. red badges, and the other one looked like yours. Yeah. And when they showed the one that looked like yours, of the 32 people in the class, 17 went, <gasps> and the other. I can't do maths. Fifteen wet. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like damn it, you're right. It's half and half. That's right. I can't deal, man. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm in the process of writing a show for the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and all it currently is is a set of uh, of cube of like cards of little um, cardboard square post-it notey things that I can scatter on a table and rearrange in various orders. And opening nights in four weeks. Uh huh. Would that make you anxious? Uh not so much because I did something similar when it came to my live show. Mm. We were writing it pretty close to the den. Good. Well, there you go. But I cheated and got auto cue. Oh. But where do you? Where does your eyeline go? Oh, I'm very good at auto cue. <laughs> I've been you doing have a bit of experience. I've been doing it no, but normally for twenty a, years. Yeah, but normally when you're doing TV, the the audience sits behind the auto cue in the sense of the audience being at home and there being a camera behind the auto cue. But when there's a live audience, where does your eyeline go? Right. Doesn't yeah. don't people turn around and go, look, he's reading it. <laughs> I'm that engaging on stage that they don't care. Oh, that's interesting. That was uh, where we put it in Brisbane was pretty the only place because it was a sold out show, Josh. Mm. There was nowhere to put it inside the actual theatre, so we had to put it up on a gantry, and so the eye line was a little odd. Um, but what's a gantry? It's, it sounds like one of those industry terms that I don't know, and I feel embarrassed about myself for not from, knowing. Like okay, you know the second level is that what a gaffer would put up? Yeah, or, or would that rigger, be a grip or a, a rigger? rigger. Yeah, a rigger. Okay. They grips a rigger. Am I going to leave here with a glossary? You are. Will you, run, will you write G it out section. for me? <laughs> okay. The Richards at the ABC are going to put together a G glossary. They truly are. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. That, yeah. Maybe I could do that. Look, maybe I could. I don't think it. I don't think it speaks very highly of a person's comedic professionalism if they do a stand-up comedy show whilst reading an off-teleprompter. Right. But well, I'm not a stand-up. A, comedy. No, exactly. Yours so is a heartfelt. Yeah. Yours is a heartfelt. Uh, yeah. And I expose. I don't have time to learn. I mean, I really should. The next shows are in April, so I could probably. Oh, please! You've got so much it. time. I could probably do it. I could probably commit it to memory. It's an hour and ten. 
Mate, I know the songs. If you can't remember an hour's worth of content in three or four weeks, let alone 12, you're doing something wrong. But That's what that, I tell myself since time, I'm opening in three or four but weeks. But in that time, I am constantly learning and forgetting just hundreds and hundreds of words a day for Bachelor. So that oh, com- right. the compartmentalization. No, of uh, no prompter on on the bachelor. Hell no, 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 no. But I have a particular technique that I use to remember things for for bachelor, and so my brain every day. Have I'll, you told the podcast audience what the technique is? Yeah, absolutely. And okay. it's it's a. Well, I don't like want to, you to repeat it. I don't want them to get bored. Like, no, no, no. It's fine. Yeah, I'd like know. to know it. Yeah, it's a, it's quite an ancient technique. It goes back squillions of years to. One of the Stoics was giving a lecture in a temple somewhere in Greece. Let's just say Marcus Aurelius. Let's say Marcus Aurelius. Mm. We can sound like Aubrey Marcus. And, yep. You know, you know, we're just like mainlining DMT here and <laughs> exactly. you know, exploring right. our third eye. Oh my god, have I told you about doing ayahuasca after Joe Rogan told me to? We'll get to that, uh-huh. or not? We go, anyway. Yeah, no, yeah we'll yeah, get yeah, to. Yeah. That. I, I know yeah. some people who regularly do ayahuasca yeah, right. as a part of a reset button. Yep. Every year, actually. So basically, you you think of something that you are really, really, really familiar with. When I first started Bachelor, because I was nomadic at the time, I would use my first radio studio that I worked five, six nights a week in every night from midnight or 1 a.m. till 6 a.m. And so I knew every single machine button mm. device in yep. that studio, okay? So, and I would go left to right around the around the room. So I had the door to the studio. I had the where the cart, this is how old it was, where the carts used to sit. And I had tape machine one, tape machine two. I had the stack of CDs on top of the three CD players. I had the CD players one, two, and three. I had the TV in the corner where you'd see the back gate. And I had the panel where the microphone button was. I had the microphone in front of me. I had the notes on the whiteboard that are in every radio studio. Hey, we want you to plug the secret sound every 20 minutes like that. And I had the clock. We don't do that much on the ABC. Not anymore. Not a lot of secret no, sounds. No, beat the bomb. No? No, beat the bomb. on. Uh, and, and I had the clock and then I had the machine that played the commercials and I had the touch screen where you hit the button for the fart noises. Okay, so that was, I think I said 11 or 12 things. Right. And then so that gives you 12 points that you know exactly it, that's never going to change, okay? And so then you find a way to hook the thing that you're talking about onto each one of those. So, for example, if you're doing an opening monologue for your breakfast television show and the prompter goes down, okay, so what's the first thing you're going to say? Say, welcome to the you know the breakfast show. I'm Josh Sepp. So you put a welcome sign on the front door as you push it open, mm-hmm. okay? There we go. What's the next thing? Let's say, for example, the top stories today are Clive Palmer's eating more Tim Tams again. Mm-hmm. And so you put mm-hmm. Tim Tams in the cart rack. Got it. Okay. In yep. your brain, you go, okay. It just gives you memory. So these are visual yeah. mnemonics. Yes. Which, yeah. You give your memory a little more. And that way, if you forget what the next thing is, you just go, what's the next thing? Oh, the second tape machine. What did I put on the second tape machine? Oh, I visualized, um, like say, for example, I'm talking, I don't know, shit, I'm talking about a new manufacturing thing. So I put, like I'd say, let's just say Ford are making cars again. Mm. They won't in Australia, but let's say they are. Um, you put a little Ford matchbox car on top of the tape machine. All right. These are good uh, these are good for visualizing for for remembering beats. Yeah. But how do you how do you memorize uh, like dialogue? Well, that's how I do it. Like sentence by sentence, like really? whatever whatever's in that sentence, I find a way to Even if you so you would put a word on the cart stack? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, with each of those things there's ways to break it down. And so sometimes I do that, sometimes I walk into this apartment in my mind, sometimes I use my kitchen. Um, and I put different things at each chair at this dinner table here, and I put things in the fruit bowl, and I put things in the Vitamix, things on the coffee machine, because I know ex- that order is never going to change hmm. in my head. And so, and then I just run through that in my head a couple of times. And then, even if you're like, you know, 
usually the most I ever have to memorize is about four or five hundred so, words. So, so let me give, give me an example here. So, if you, let's suppose you're on the uh, the Bachelor, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, much as I'm a huge fan of yours, uh, not a, not a frequent viewer, but so in my mind, what you probably have to do on the Bachelor is you have to say, uh, Chantal, uh, if Rodney picks you, then you get married. But if he doesn't, then you get fed to the sharks here on Tropical Bachelor Island. Yes. I'm Mosher Gunsberg. So if you have to say that, yes. then each of those words would get assigned, like you'd put Chantal on the blender? Uh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So and then you'd put- say Chantal's wearing something, my, my Vitamix is red. Let's yep. say Chantal's wearing something blue. Okay. Okay. So we'll make that blue and we'll stand her on top of it. Right. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, there she is. And we put Rodney on the coffee machine and we put sharks mm. in my kitchen sink. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. Great. And then, you know. But oh, see, if I did that, then I'd be like, okay, everybody, we're going to have to feed you to the sharks. I think Rodney's going in. Come on, Rodney, get in the shark tank. And then they'd be cut. No, Josh, there's no shark. No. Different shark. Chantal, not Rodney. <laughs> I'd get him mixed up. Rodney's a great name for a bachelor. Yeah. I don't know who it is. We have exceptional plausible deniability in our show. Okay. They never tell me our hero, and we're very close to shooting it. Wouldn't it be great if, if this came out and then it actually turned out to be Rodney? It'd be so good. And they were like, and they'd be like, Channel 10's like, what are you doing? You're telling your podcast guests. How did he know? How did he know? And you're like, ABC, I don't know. I don't how know. did the ABC know? And they'd come to me and they'd be like, oh, did he tell you? And I'd be like, absolutely he did, just before we went on the air. He said, it's a PS, it's going to be Rodney. It'd be so good. It'd be so good. <laughs> We never talked about your time in the in the Joe Rogan cabin. Mm. Um, that must be an intense experience because I, like many people, you know, I I really do enjoy listening to his show. Yeah. I am, you know, there's people that I I know quite well who choose not to listen to it because one out of five of his guests are, you know, lean a little too hard to the right and a little too hard to the um, men are better than women mm-hmm. thing. Which I understand. I You're like, saying you understand that men are better than women? <laughs> no, I understand why people would want to not uh, listen to that sort of thing and therefore therefore, I don't want to listen to any of what this person has to say. Yeah. I enjoy listening to him in the same way that I would enjoy many of your guests on We The People Live, your, your political podcast, because I know you and I think I know enough about Joe Rogan to know that, okay, well, this is a kind of a safe place for me to engage Mm. this point of view mm. versus listening to that particular guest on what's his name not ben zander what's his name like there's ben a, shapiro yeah like yeah. say on the ben shapiro show yeah, if you where, listen, which is a raving raging yeah. conservative republican yeah if yeah. you listen to people on his show like well i can't i can't get through and I, look i know and like ben ben's been on my show and so if people are a bit confused about what what i'm talking about with show because they're going hang on i thought he was on the abc i also have a podcast that osh has been on called we the people live which has a hashtag before it, and we the people is all one word. So go and subscribe to that on your podcast app. And that's conversations with people. Oh, actually, I've got one in the bag with Sam Harris, who I know you're another Holy fan of. Holy shit. So I'm, I'm making my way through him and Stephen with... Fry at the moment, and I, oh, I'm like, great. I'm going to have to do four or five laps on this. I'm not even joking. <laughs> like, Fry, every sentence that Fry speaks is Isn't like, <gasps> I want to get him on my show. Oh, mate, really you and me want. both. Yeah. Um, so Sam, so I just sat down with Sam a few weeks ago, and um, and we spoke for about an hour and a half. So that will oh, be Just a quick up. one. Then he doesn't. Well, mind. He doesn't. That's mind. a quickie for him. Yeah. He doesn't mind three hours. At no, it. exactly. No. Um, as does Joe. And so I've done Joe Rogan's show six times. I actually went in and looked at, at how many, basically a couple of times a year for the past three or four years. And he's big into psychedelics and stuff, you know. And um, 
uh, I was intrigued by it. And when I lost my job in New York, I, I was working at HuffPost Live, uh, which was sort of the Huffington Post's big audacious attempt to do the the largest streaming online television news yeah. talk. Thing. You were on for eight. You did for, millions yeah. of live hours. Brazilians. So many hours of live Anchor, yeah. anchor newsy, news crawler across the bottom of the screen television. Yes, way more basically. than anybody else. Like they yeah. tap out every every 20 minutes on the Yeah, no, I was doing it a lot. I was doing How a many hours over, 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 over a thousand hours over the course of four years. It was probably about two to three hours. That's a lot, man. Yeah. And no prompter, really. I mean, yeah. with the with the exception of intros, the whole thing was spontaneous yeah. guest interviews for about half an hour and panel conversations yeah. and stuff. I loved it. It was yeah. such a great you job. You were so good at it. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Um, but as you lost a job and you're like, what the fuck do I do Lost now? my job. What the fuck do I do? Hopped a cheap flight to Puerto Rico to hang out with a friend of mine who was shooting a sitcom down there. Did a bit of snorkeling and chasing turtles. Got back and thought, maybe Joe was right and this is the time to do ayahuasca. And um, yeah, did a went to a ceremony in Brooklyn in, a, uh, in an old church with a Peruvian guy who was up from South America and just 20 people. An overnight thing. You get there at 10 p.m. Mm. You leave about... Four or five in the morning. I've heard about this. Is like there's there's beds on the floor and there's people yeah, helping sort of you because you can have you can things. have quite. A, yeah, everyone's got a bowl to vomit in. Yeah, because and most people vomit. Bit vomity. Yeah, I managed to avoid that, thankfully. But you have someone guiding you. It's not. It's not. That's a party. Right. It's not a party drug. It's most <clears throat> definitely a shamanistic, ritualistic. Yes, that's right. It's it's used as it were as it was. And what if I'm not mistaken? Like what blows my mind about a lot ayahuasca is it's it's a combination of two plants that are from hundreds of miles apart on they only grow natively so when they were discovered like with this is like how the fuck did people know mm. put these two this plants is thousands together. of years ago yeah on foot supposedly. when it would have been a journey yeah. of a year to get from one to the other oh, i didn't that. realize that they were located in different parts of as far South as America. i know yeah right. as far as i know it's not right. just like oh, what happens if we mix this one with that one over right. there no it's mm. uh, well they i mean a lot of native south american tribes believe that ayahuasca is essentially uh, the Amazon and yeah. it is the spirit of the of the earth and of the cosmos and is like has a personality and has all kinds of other spirits associated with it and so on and it certainly opens up your mind to a realm of uh, highly vivid uh, engagements that don't seem well that are un, uh, that are as inaccessible so unless you have a psychedelic. So you are certainly struck me as someone who goes, "Oh, I'm feeling anxiety today." Right, I'm able to separate myself from. Yes, it's. I'm feeling. Oh, I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling anxious. You know, you are able to. What were you like as it started to kick in? Um, Did you have a hard time surrendering, or were you trying to observe it the whole time? You have to surrender. Uh, if you don't surrender, it'll kill you. I mean, you know, it'll you'll have a bad trip. Uh -huh. I mean, that's how psychedelics work. Like the mo the more you try to resist them, the stronger they become uh -huh. in their power to uh, force you to um, come under their spell in some way. And that they then that's when the, where the darkness comes in, and you have. Um, so there were moments where I were felt well. Let's just start physiologically. There were moments where I felt like I was going to vomit, and. I could feel that I could feel myself resisting that and the and the the nausea getting more intense and so I just went with it and like consciously was like you know it's not the end of the world vomited many times I can vomit just breathe and, and let it come out and then it would just subside and similarly there's an emotional analog to that where I would feel like there was some darkness tugging at me I saw a an image of like a bloodied head kind of in the top right of my periphery 
and um and it, it was kind of terrifying and i i wanted to resist it and sort of look away and started feeling this overwhelming sense of sort of dread and doom and then thought you know what this is a a fairly short period of time and this will be whatever it's going to be and in a few hours I'll be out of this um so if it wants to take me somewhere and show me something that's confronting and horrible then that's what this is going to be so, you're so still able roll to have, with it you're still able to have the rational you mm-hmm. be unaffected by yeah. the other part of you that's fascinating yeah basically i mean it's not so all consuming that you're um, the spiraling out. It's not like, for example, some people talk about DMT as being a drug where you are completely unhinged from any uh, and, and unmoored from reality. Yeah. Uh, but ayahuasca is more, I think, probably like very powerful mushrooms, where there's something kind of earthy and and non foreign about it. It's mm. just like you're suddenly in a in a different universe of fun houses with visual hallucinations and uh, and it sort of brings out the the truest essence of you that's part of the philosophy and so i ha- in addition to having these quite profound sort of cosmological insights which i feel like well they seemed profound at the time about us all being part of some huge fabric of life that stretches back um billions of years and the majesty of the cosmos and the sheer staggering improbability that we're all here observing the universe at all um in addition to that there was just like there were just moments where i i was having a tremendous amount of fun and just giggling to myself at how ridiculous it was to be hiding under my blanket, which I did for a, for a period of time. And it was just the funniest thing in the world. I mean, hiding under a blanket was so hilarious. And I would like peek out from under the blanket and then go back under the blanket. And it was in some ways a relief that this experience that's supposed to unveil the true you had not unmasked some horrible character. And so I kind of walked out of the whole thing relieved and invigorated. And it's quite bizarre. Like for, de- for days thereafter, I remember going into a clothes shop because I needed to buy some jeans in Brooklyn. And like I walked in and the, the girl at the checkout was just like, what is going on with you? And I was like, what? And she's like, you just have some kind of aura about you. You're like the most unusual person I've seen all day. She's like, you look like you're on a cloud. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's sweet. So it definitely has the, it definitely changes the complexion of your relationship with reality. And so what, what role did, if any, what role did your ayahuasca experience have in the next move you played in your career? Um, I think it probably contribute, helped contribute to, uh, the, to a, to a certain adventurousness that led to us leaving New York and we went to LA for a year. And then from LA, we came, came back to Australia. Um, all of which was quite stressful and chaotic and in hindsight, probably far too convoluted, but um, was the consequence of a certain devil may care uh, heedlessness that probably was nudged along by mm. by ayahuasca. Oh my God, we're all just atoms contemplating exactly. atoms on, a, on a spinning ball of water <laughs> and dirt, right, hurtling right. through space Stop together. It. Nothing matters. <laughs> Let's move to Hollywood. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so we did. And, yeah. and and you're right. You know, and and it's extraordinary because the way you describe it, that's very. There's, there's friends of mine who who do this as a regular thing. They mm. do it as a there's a and bless them, they include me on the group text. Mm. I'm like, 
If there's one thing that I regret not trying before I went sober, it's ayahuasca. Are you sure that that it's not contradictory to sobriety? Yeah, I've asked my guy about it. Yeah, because it's a guided shamanistic thing. It's a it's there's a ritual about it. It's it's not necessarily religious, but it's utterly spiritual. It's a shared experience. It's a communal thing. It's in the words of Bill Hicks, it's squeegeeing the third eye clean. <laughs> it's, good. You know, allowing you to you know see. The separation between you and your observant self. I mean, I'm interested in your attitude towards what sobriety means then because I, I think we can sometimes fall into a bit of a, a trap that has been created by the war on drugs in lumping together everything that's illicit uh, into the same category. So you can have antidepressants and anti-anxieties which are legal, which are in one bucket, and then on the other hand you're supposed to put ayahuasca in the same category as cocaine and crystal meth. It where- isn't. It utterly isn't. For me, it's it is a uh, anything that I'm taking to deliberately avoid feeling how I'm feeling. I mean, it's it's pretty damn close. It's it's probably first on the list of on the other side of the line. Mm. You know, um, I mean, fuck, coffee's on this side of the line. Yeah, and I've got a machine here. That's, you know, that's <laughs> Pablo Escobar. I mean, I regard addiction as being the main thing for for me. Yeah. I, I'm sober off booze as well. Oh. Uh, yeah, just um, just for personal, just from personal choice. Um, yeah. You just get more shit done. Oh, I get a lot more done. I'm actually just a lot happier. You yeah. know, I, I I started paying attention to how I actually feel when I'm drinking because I wasn't an alcoholic, I don't think, but I, but I was drinking every day, every evening, and um realized that I was doing it regardless of whether or not I wanted to particularly. I was just doing it because I do it because that's what you do. And I don't like doing things for that reason. The thing about psychedelics is they're actually counter-addictive. I mean, you give psychedelics to – you give a trip to any animal, not just a human being, and they don't go back to it very quickly. Yeah, right. You know, they they, they go, okay, well, that's uh, something. Well, there's a lot of of research – at the moment in the use of things like MDMA and microdosing of mushrooms and things like that around treating various mental illnesses, yeah. particularly PTSD. Mm. Uh, I'm very interested to see how that how that goes. However, it is in the same way as MDMA was designed as a drug initially to be used as a relationship counselling um, drug where people would take it under strict supervision by a counsellor and all of the ingrained looping kind of judgments melt away and you do, oh, that's right, that's what it is. Mm. That's why I want to be with you. Okay, let's figure this out, honey. That's what it was designed for. So who wouldn't want to feel that on a Mm. Friday night? You know, mm. at Studio 54, which is where that's how it all, you know, mm. kicked off. Uh, so similarly, you know, that there's ways to use these things, I think. Um, but, yeah, ayahuasca is yeah, – was, was I should show you the text actually. It's like who wants the – it's like who wants – it's one of those fantastically difficult to pronounce um, <coughs> places by the ocean with a, you know – In Australia? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's right. a d- distinctly Aboriginal name and I'm not going to Bondi? Think, is it no, Bondi? No, it's, like, it's not Warragamba or something, something like that. It's yeah, like, right. Who wants to come up to the forest in – <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, hit control, alt, delete on 2019. Yeah, it's like yeah. – uh, <laughs> yes, but no. <laughs> yeah, have fun. I'll see you on the other side. If you haven't read Michael Pollan's book about psychedelics, you must, uh, or listen to him him read it. He's the um, New York Times bestselling journalist who writes a lot about food and about um, like natural. Uh, he's very interested in in humankind's relationship to the natural world, uh, and he has a book about uh, the breakthroughs of the sort of burgeoning breakthroughs in psilocybin research that you're talking mm. t- talking about there, a bit, little bit less about MDMA, but more about magic mushrooms. Uh, and 
in order to research the book, he's, you know, in his, I think, early 60s, he did every psychedelic uh, over the course of the year of, uh, of writing the book Goodness. and talks about his own personal experience and what they're like and what the, re- what the research is. I highly recommend it. I will explore. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mm. I, I, I will explore that. Now, tell me, we, we just about, you know, a little while ago we were – we were fiddling with our phones and you showed me your unread messages. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I was actually, I went to go see a new therapist yesterday and we were talking about avoidant behavior, um, which is something, you know, it was like, it's a form of therapy called um, acceptance commitment therapy that I'm, I'm starting. Um, my psychiatrist has sent me to go over there. And, um, you know, she's, you know, basically just my homework is, you know, just watch the things that you do to move away from the kind of person you want to be and move away from the fears. And what are the things you use to is move towards the kind of person you want to be. And um, my phone is most definitely a thing that yeah. I just escape into. Yeah. And um, it it's almost like I can escape from the room that I'm in full of people when I'm in it. Mm. And I have to be quite careful of that because I can lose. 15 minutes, half an hour, yep. lose an hour. We all can. We all do. But your your stand-up show that mm. you're, you're putting together is is trying in a, in a wonderful way with a bit of humour thrown in to just kind of, hey, everyone, just say, you know, you, your brain's being hacked. Yes. Uh, you are, you're essentially, you are, you know, the follow the gold or the queen of the Nile. You've got it in your hand. You are, <laughs> you've essentially got a poker machine. Uh, yeah, I think that's. If, if you me, what... if you me, you walk past the VIP room of the pub and you go, "Oh my god, I'd never go in there." Yeah, I would never play the tradies' laptop. No, would I? <laughs> no, would I ever? Uh, and yet, I'm in my goddamn phone every day. Mm, mm. Um, my brain being hacked by algorithms and gamifications and notifications and stuff that are dictating my behaviour. Yes. Yeah, you are. Yeah, so the the show at, that I'm doing at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which um, starts at the end of March and runs through the the mid to mid to late April, tickets at comedyfestival.com.au, is called U2, not like the band, like written out hashtag Y O U T O in an homage to the Me Too movement, and it's not specifically about political correctness and Me Too, but it is tangentially about that because I think part of what's happening to our discourse. And part of how divided we're becoming on hot-button cultural issues like Me Too or Indigenous Affairs or Asylum Seekers or Trump or Brexit or whatever it might be is um, attributable to the fact that we're addicted to devices that that encourage us to think in blacks and whites 
right? So, so I think a lot of people just sort of think, well, I've just used Facebook or Twitter because I I like it. When Facebook started, there weren't there wasn't there, there wasn't an emphasis on engagement, right? There wasn't there wasn't you didn't comment and like and share things. You basically received what other people were posting on their walls and you, and your feed was something that you would just look at until you wanted to post something yourself. And so people would use Facebook by going to a web browser and typing in www.facebook.com and they would log in in the mornings and see some photos of their niece on holiday and then they would check in again maybe in the evenings. What it's now become, and this is no accident, is, as you say, essentially a kind of a pokey machine app where the emphasis on engagement, on receiving likes, giving likes, having shares and commenting and getting comments is calibrated in such a way that like they, they have psych- psychologists there who know exactly how many milliseconds to make you wait before the notifications pop up on Facebook. Like when you open Facebook, when you open your app, the number of notifications isn't there instantaneously. And when you click the Twitter app, Twitter doesn't open instantaneously. The number of milliseconds that it takes to do so is tailored to the amount of time it takes you to, like a Pavlovian dog, wait, get an expectation build up, and then have that relieved and satisfied by the by seeing the notification, which gives you a little hit of, hit of dopamine, just like the pause that a poking machine puts in before it tells you whether or not you've won or lost. And this sort of gamification of our social environments, of our friendship circles, has put a, a gambling machine essentially in our pocket where there, there is no reward other than itself, really. The, the, you, you just keep going back to it for the purposes of keeping going back to it. You're no longer actually interested in your niece's photos from, um, from her holiday. What you're inter- interested in is for some reason opening it because you feel like it because to not open it would leave you with a few moments in your day when you're not doing anything and you don't want to be confronted by the dark eternal blankness of your soul. So you distract yourself with this little jingly thing like a cat chasing a laser pointer. And I think not only is that bad for our heads, not only does it impede our daydreaming, does it uh, wipe out boredom, which I think is a good thing, being bored and having to think about yourself occasionally, but it also encourages what I was just talking about, which is this kind of black and white thinking. Like what it what what Facebook and what Facebook wants you to do is to engage, and you engage with things that you either strongly agree with or strongly disagree with. You don't engage with nuance. You know what what makes you what gets you riled up, and what gets you likely to comment on something or like something or share something, is that it's firing up your passions, and. I think we're all being trained to think about things in a black and white way instead of in a instead of in shades of of gray and that cacophony is just always there because as you say it's in your it's in your pants all the time and I think a lot of people will have had an experience where for example your phone battery has died and you're out and about like I was at, I was at a movie theater recently and uh, I was waiting to meet a friend to go and see a movie and my phone battery was dead and I was like what am I supposed to do now? I'm just standing here waiting for him. I have to wait for like seven minutes with nothing to do. Am I supposed to look at the clouds? Am I supposed to gaze at passers-by passing by? This is absolutely ridiculous. And I thought, imagine if I was, imagine if my 15-year-old self, who spent a lot of time waiting outside movie theatres for other people to get there because that's what you did, was able to talk to me and be like, 
what do you what what's the what's the problem? Well, I don't have my little computer to look at. What do you do with your computer? I like other people's photos. Do you enjoy it? Not really. Do you get paid for it? No. Who gets paid? Does anyone get paid? Facebook gets paid. Lots. Lots. So how do they get paid? They get paid because when I like other people's photos, Facebook shows me ads of underwear and then I might buy them. <laughs> do you like your underwear? <laughs> do you like the underwear that you that Facebook sells you? Yes, it's fine. Okay, good. Is that the purpose of all this? I suppose so. <laughs> now go away, young scallywag. You don't understand what you're missing. Go and watch this is the future. It's great. Go and watch Lethal Weapon 2. I'm waiting to see Lethal Weapon 2. I'm waiting to say diplomatic immunity at the same time as the guy on the screen. I know exactly what you're saying. And what that, you have just described it so perfectly. And, you know, you've got little kids that are nearly a year and a half. We have a teenage daughter watching how this software that is – we don't want to believe it's been deliberately designed to make us have an emotional reaction. But what you're saying is it absolutely, positively, 100% has <laughs> I mean, been designed by psychologists to give you that. It's almost quaint that anyone would think this is an accident. Yeah. These are the wealthiest companies in the world. They know what they're doing. They hire psychologists from the, the most elite institutions in the United States. When I see how the apps on her phone... Um, and this is not, you know, I'm not throwing her under the bus whatsoever. You know, it's every child her age. Their very social structure is somewhat dictated by the software in that 15-year-old Josh waiting outside the movie theatre was probably waiting for something that he knew from school or if he was lucky, knew from some sort of extracurricular activity, your weekend, you know, I don't know, soccer game or cricket mm. or whatever it was. You or grinder. Or <laughs> Well, let's not even get into <laughs> yeah. dopamine, serotonin. Let's not even get into the fact once, you know, sex gets involved. That's once right. Once the desire for... I mean, thank God those things didn't exist when we were You know, young. let's not even get near it when it comes to, you know, sexual desire and the... Oh, my God. So, so, someone who fits exactly, particularly in the gay scene mm. where... And for many years, I'm not going to say this is attributable to you, but certainly among the people that would have used earlier apps like Manhunt and Grinder, it's like, oh no, no, there's no expectation of emotional at all. Yes. This is purely a a mechanical, physical adventure. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, by the way. I think oh, there's definitely all. a place in in a, ro a role to to be played in life for for sheer hedonism with no emotional attachment. Absolutely, and but. Uh, but, but it can't be the only. It can't be the only channel. Yeah, but but you couldn't have also told fifteen year old Josh, who you know might have been like a, a horny teenage boy, which is fair enough. We all were. Um, hey, buddy, uh, you know, in a couple of years from now, you'll be able to go. You know what I feel like tonight? I feel like by kind of at first being dominated by and then overpowering a bear who's about as old as my dad. <laughs> swipe, swipe, click. He'll be yeah. here in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. That's, I am that's exactly right. what he wants too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, well, that's right. There was uncertainty. There was. I mean, it was a. It was a chase when we were young. Although I, I look, I, I don't want us to sound like a couple of old fuddy duddies. What was? Finish your thought about about the social structures. Oh, right. of so, your daughter's So when I apps. see the way. So yeah. So your social structure at the time, waiting in front of the theatre, uh, you were luck. You were probably waiting for something that you knew from school or from an extracurricular activity, right? Yet. What happens now is I see the way uh, her immediate generation in our area, I'm not going to know, say this is how it works all over our country, but in our area, the social structures are a party invite goes out on a group chat. 
So maybe 125 people on the group chat. Let's just invite everyone. We're going to meet at, you know, here's where we're going to go. All right, maybe 70 kids will show up. But that's where all the photos and everything and communication about the party and who's there and who's going to go. And, and, and oh, hey, this is a great time. And are you downstairs? I'm waiting for you. All that happens there. But that group chat stays in their phone at infinitum. And so everyone who was at the particular party in that social circle, they might be from schools many kilometres away from where we are, um, they stay connected with each other. And each time there's a social gathering, it's connected by this particular group chat, which sometimes have, you know, 20, 40, 100 people on them. And so there's this connection just across all kinds of geographic and socioeconomic lines because they're all, you know, essentially equal. Mm. Um, but that sounds like a good thing. It sure does. But it's also very interesting because then I, I can sometimes watch in the morning and I'm sure she's like any other kid her age, her phone will ping with notifications every eight to ten seconds. And, you know, Snapchat know what they're doing mm. and they are, you know, if you took it away, the level of engagement that she gets of all these people in her life that she feels really quite intimately close to because she's looking at photographs every day, you know, that is beyond anything that I ever experienced. And I, yeah. in my, you know, old fuddy-duddy way, I have no idea how to manage that now. Like mm. how can I at all give her guidance on how to manage it? I can just try. Well, I think it's inherently unmanageable, isn't it? I mean, it's unmanageable to be in a social sphere that you never leave. We weren't built for that. Like no, at no point in human history, in no culture, have you been with exactly the same people in your head 100% of the time, always until now. Now you've got those 20, 40, 100, 125 people trailing you around every waking moment and even not a waking moment when your phone dings while you're asleep. Um, I do think this is a problem. The, the Generation Z, the generation after the millennials, uh, you know, basically your daughter's generation, has some really worrying trends that we haven't seen before. You know, certainly in the UK, I'm more familiar with the data there, but the, the number of suicide attempts and the amount of cutting, especially young among teenage girls, has, I think, tripled. Uh, and psychologists do think that there could be a correlation between the fact that when you leave school, you, you can't leave the bullies behind. You can't leave that uh, pressure cooker environment of status and envy behind. Like, you can't just be. Teenage girls are the demographic who are the most focused on status and are the most anxious about where they exist in the hierarchy and the pecking order. Um, we all know how bitchy 15-year-old girls can be and judgmental of one another. And um, the idea that, that you can never escape that, not for a second, because it's always on your phone, is something that we haven't really thought about and we haven't really dealt with. And we, have, we just have no idea, have no idea how to mitigate Teenage boys can most definitely do that too. They can. And they're all, I mean, teenagers just generally are worse than, than other ages in terms of caring the most about what other people think of them. Their powers just get more concentrated and more focused as they get older. You know, there's most definitely people in their 20s and, you know, later who can still be pretty horrible to each other. Uh, but the idea. No, of course. But, but, but we, we regard those people as pathological. I mean, we, uh, if you are in your 70s and you are still obsessed by what other people think of you, then you are Donald Trump. You are the, you are the object of everybody's scorn. Yeah. You are yeah. obviously an incomplete and unwise human being. Yeah. But Donald Trump is every 15-year-old. <laughs> it sure is. It's interesting that you discussed, you know, we discussed this. What, th Facebook started, what, 2006? So 13 years, 
we've had this, it's barely enough time to, you know, have it. We have a fair idea mm. that you are more likely to be depressed if you use Facebook every day. In fact, your significant marker of not using, of not being depressed is just don't use Facebook every day mm. and it can really change your day quite a bit. Though so much of today's modern societal structure, certainly in our wealthy, you know, environment is based around this form of communication with each other. And yeah, Instagram is Facebook as much as yeah, exactly. it. That's right. It's the same company. That's right. Um, and YouTube is Google and yeah. like, you know, these are all it's it's all it's all there. And the, just the I guess as well, the idea that, you know, this X that you you might have lived with someone for three years from the age of twenty to twenty four, right? And then let's say for example you moved cities, you moved from Townsville down to Brisbane, your ex you're like, oh, yeah, I was with him. I was with her. And, yeah, I remember we used to do that thing on the weekends and whatever. But now here we are 10 years later, you live with someone else. You might even have a kid and, boom, up comes you standing on the beach with this lover and it's on your feed. And, well, hang on a second. We never had to cope with Does that. Does that bother you, that, that sort of thing? Um, it, it would have been such a deliberate thing. You would have had to go to a photo album. Those stuff was stuff because if you moved countries, or if you're yeah. like, like me, it would probably be in a box, mm. uh, in a in a folder sleeve from the photo, or on a hard drive somewhere. Two thousand six, it would have been a, a hard drive somewhere that you just don't open anymore. But isn't that isn't that just as likely to be a welcome intervention into your life as an unwelcome one? If it was an unwelcome relationship, it was a relationship you got out of because it was bad for both well, of don't you. Don't follow that person, man. Well, it doesn't matter because it was on your. You put it on your wall in two thousand seven. Oh, going, I see. It's like you I may am, remember. Yeah, yeah here I am on Ellie Beach having a great time. <laughs> right. This is before that night at so and so's engagement party where it all went horribly mm. wrong, and that's why I moved out of the city because everything I mean, was awful. I'm just jumping in to defend social media because I don't want this to sound like I'm an old fuddy duddy ranting against everything. I like the fact that I'm still in touch with people who I wouldn't otherwise be in touch with. Yeah. I just got. Uh, a, a message on Instagram uh, from a private message from the girl who I lived with in Los Angeles in 2010 who has been in Bali off the grid except for Instagram right. for ever, ever since. And that would just never happen because she doesn't know what country I live in. Uh-huh. I certainly don't know what country she lives in. Yeah. And we would have just been the, that. And, look, maybe a case can be made that it, that what we had for nine months in, in L.A. was weird and perfect and it should stay that way. Preserved as roommates. In, yeah, as roommates, yeah. yeah. Should, it should be. But, you know, it was a very emotional time for both of us and we were very close. And maybe a case can be made that that, that, that should be left that way and we shouldn't revisit it. But I, I think there are lots of great things that social media does. But I think we think about it in the wrong way because we only think about its utility and we don't think about the downsides. We don't really have conversations. We're just starting to have a conversation about the downsides, but it, it's usually a, a hysterical tabloid conversation about how social media is killing us all and, you know, your children are going to have their brains polluted by devices. That's not very helpful. I think we need to sort of figure out. Like, as you said, it's so new, 13 years or whatever Facebook is. I, I have a bit in the show comedyfestival.com.au for tickets. It's called hashtag U2. Uh, I have a bit in the show about the fact that, like, think back to 9-11. I know you were in New York on 9-11, right? Um, so it's definitely something that's still fresh in your memory and doesn't feel incredible, doesn't feel a lifetime ago. Well, when 9-11 happened, of course there were no iPhones, but there was no iPod. 
Remember the original old first generation iPod, big mm. as a brick with a scroll thing that would tack, tack, tack through about 140 songs or whatever, you, whatever you, it was. When you kicked it off, you'd, you'd feel the gyroscopic effect of the hard drive starting <laughs> to spin. Yeah. As the songs start up. That was after 9-11. That was released in October of 2001. And so the whole, you know, there was no such thing as digital music then. And like think, I don't know if people remember say, the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004. There was no such thing as YouTube. I mean, I think if you think back to that tsunami, people will, will recall viewing grainy footage of, of you know, villages getting wept, swept away on the internet. They didn't see that. That never happened on the internet. There wasn't video on the internet when that happened. It was all on TV. Twitter is even more recent. I mean, when Kevin Rudd, what's the stat? When Rudd... In the election when Rudd was up against Howard. Kevin 07. Yeah, the Kevin 07 election. Uh, I think that was the iPhone. Yeah, that's right. That was before iPhones existed. So nobody on Sorry Day, nobody was filming Sorry Day on a phone. You didn't have video cameras on phones. So that sort of thing just makes you realise we are racing headlong into a total upheaval of the way that we experience reality. We are constantly being connected, manipulated and pinged by algorithms whose sole job it is to observe what we do with these apps and then tweak the way that the apps behave to encourage us to engage more and spend more time on site. So your fa the Facebook that you see as Osher Ginsberg is, is a Facebook that nobody else sees and it's not because you're a special snowflake and Facebook knows you uniquely well. It's because Facebook is crunching bazillions of different ways, bazillions of di different options of what it's going to show you first, which post should come above another post, how long it should take before it tells you how many likes you've got on a certain post, how long it should take from hitting the app before the app actually opens. It analyzes how quickly you scroll along your feed. It analyzes how long you look at something and then don't click the link. It analyzes how long it takes you to click the link and then how long you spend on that link before coming back. All of this stuff is getting crunched by supercomputers and tweaked and then your reactions to that feedback are being analyzed by those algorithms in order to optimize the amount of time that you spend on that stupid fucking phone. You are a dog. <laughs> you are a rat, you know, with the little lever of, of sugar water or cocaine. And we just haven't started really grappling with that, that, with what we want our relationship to be to these supercomputers that are hoovering up vast amounts of money for Silicon Valley tech companies by essentially owning our attention, by, by creating a new model of capitalism that is a form of essentially surveillance capitalism that is watching everything you do and monitoring it in order to feed back to you what it thinks you're going to want to click on. We've seen the effects that it can be in the negative quite easily, you know, when you see how when online hate campaigns, when people are just, uh, in the words of Joe Rogan, there's an element of society that wait on the starting line, mm. engine revving. The mob. Ready for outrage. And yeah. the moment there's even the sniff that they're able, bang. Away mm. they go and mm. they completely uh, destroy and, and, you know, in many cases 
you know, it, it's a very well documented de death threats and, you know, people showing up to people's houses and stuff like that, like within a matter of 45 minutes mm. of, of uh, you know, some online accident, mm. some sort of infraction, mm. some mistake that someone mm. might have made in the public eye. There are obviously positives to that though as well, but do you feel that we'll – those positives are, are as high profile, or do well, I'm not sure there are positives to the to the public shaming component of no, but they're e equally so. Like the public movement behind, uh, you know, say for example, a positive movement, a positive change. Well, can you think of one? Um, I mean, I suppose the Me Too movement is a good example, actually, yeah. of of a double edged sword. Where on the whole, it's been extremely valuable, incredibly important. Uh, I think the the idea that we might finally see an end to obnoxious men just sort of behaving with with crass impunity in the workplace to female underlings, the idea that that could, could no longer be the status quo for the first time in history is wonderful. And yet we've gotten to a point where to raise any question about the most extreme interpretation of, of Me Too feminism is to suddenly find yourself being lumped in with rapists and sexual abusers right you know I mean, there was a, a friend of mine she was at a uh she was on a date with a guy who was a nerdy engineer a mechanical engineer and she was like oh do you have any cute girls at your work and he was like well no i'm a mechanical engineer so women don't really like to, to do that and she was like what do you mean he was like well men women don't tend to like to take things apart and put them back together again as much as men do that's a male that tends to be a male thing she took tremendous offense at this because her education in the kind of me too orthodoxy has been that men and women are basically the same not just of equal value but the same and she was telling me that she that she regarded she understood what he was really saying which is that men and women aren't equal and don't deserve to be equal and he was basically making a defense of of discrimination against women and that more than one woman a week is killed at the hands of men in Australia and how can he be so insensitive as to sort of be siding with rapists and this is all because he was making a claim that women don't like taking things apart and putting them back together again as much as men do, which is a factual claim. There is oodles of science about the, the biological differences between men and women. So this intransigence, this sort of stridency that forces you to pick one side or another and then unleashes the public shaming mobs against you if you misspeak. I mean, don't even get me started on just this week. I had a, an, an interaction with a a prominent trans woman in, in the States who had tweeted, if a woman has a penis, then it is a biologically female penis. End of story. And I, as someone who is pro-trans in the sense that I am just pro live and let live and everyone should be able to do their jam, uh, had said, had made the point that I think it's actually harder to get people on board with trans issues if you start talking in pseudoscientific gobbledygook about biologically female penises. That's just nonsense. It's not a biologically... What, I don't even know what the word biologically... What, what, what work is the word biologically doing in there? I mean, it's a person who has a penis, who has an XY chromosome, who uh, feels like a woman and is now, now has the gender of a woman. That's fine. Why do we have to get bogged down in, in, in pseudoscientific uh, hocus-pocus? And... I didn't put it like that. I didn't put it as offensively as I'm carrying it right now. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I simply said that I think we're going to win more friends if we don't force everyone to believe in nonsense. And she blocked me. Ah. So 
now that's hardly a public shaming, but I've had public shaming episodes as well for basically just disagreeing. It's like we can't, we're not allowed to just simply have ideological or mm. intellectual disagreements if they transgress what the almost sort of religious orthodoxy of the politically correct position is. I mean, we, I remember we've spoken in the past, you and I, I think it was the last time I was on this show where I was talking about Islam mm. and I was talking, I think, about the conservatism, about how difficult it is to just talk about the reality of how widespread misogyny, sexism and homophobia is in Muslim communities. Because the moment you say, the moment you even start broaching that and, and trying to bolster reformers and, and smaller liberals in the Muslim community, all the guilty white non-Muslim lefties start accusing you of being an Islamophobe and just pretend that there's nothing to see here. We've just faced, in the UK, there's just been huge protests outside a public school in Birmingham over the teaching of sex classes that included gay and lesbian subjects on the curriculum. Yes. And this was a Muslim-driven campaign with a bunch of British Muslims who, who were outraged that their kids would have to be taught about filthy fags. And they protested against the Birmingham school. They got over 100,000 signatures, which in the UK is enough to trigger a parliamentary debate. And parliament has just been forced to debate whether or not parents should be able to opt their children out from learning about gays and lesbians. So <laughs> this is not an imaginary thing. Yeah. This is not me being an anti-Muslim bigot. Lots of Muslim friends. I love my Muslims. But the moment you start talking about real, true phenomena that exist in communities yeah. and the moment you say things that transgress the official line which is that anyone who's brown and a muslim is an oppressed person and we have to support them and also all of their beliefs and whatever those beliefs might be otherwise we're islamophobes then yeah you trigger a tripwire and the hordes descend and part of what i want to do on the melbourne show and on my podcasts and radio shows in general is have conversations that skirt that difficult line and that do, that pull off the tight wire act of uh of being reasonable and non-ideological in ways that people on both sides of the aisle might be able to find some sympathy with how can we if we are as you mentioned earlier being trained to think of things in a binary way this is either very very good or so incredibly bad that I am going to put some of my energy into this thing that I didn't care about until three seconds ago when I read this headline and saw this photo. Now I'm going to care about this so much, I'm going to put my name behind it by sharing it, retweeting it, regramming it, whatever, or commenting on it. How do we train ourselves out of this way of thinking of being it's yes or no it's it's everything's awesome or this is the worst thing in the world or this should be on the, on a pedestal and this must be destroyed publicly like how can we get into that nuance well i think there's one easy way that no one will do which is delete your social media accounts that would probably do it mm -hmm. if all of the conversations about politics that you had were with people who you actually had to see face to face you'd probably be a bit more reasonable about things. Or maybe you'd be in your bubble, in your geographical and, and social bubble. I don't know. But I, I would suggest that at the very least you take a month without d using social media, just to at least delete the apps off your digital devices so that you have to log on on a laptop in order to use them. 
um, and maybe just silence your, you know, put your account to sleep for 30 days. And then after 30 days, figure out what is what are the accounts that you really miss? What are the really useful ones that, that brought that bring some kind of joy to your life? You know, like Marie Kondo, your at your social media, I think would be a, would be a start because I don't know how you can. I just feel it in myself. I mean, I think we all feel it, don't we? You you log on, you see, you you don't have to spend very long on social media or YouTube. Instagram may be an exception here. Before you see something that creates that little tiny fire in your gut that makes you want to correct someone or want to pass on whatever thing they've just owned someone with, uh, and as long as that's the that's what's riling us up the most and getting us to pay the most attention to social media. I don't think you're going to you're going to find opportunities to have nuanced conversations. I think that can only come from longer form reading, slower thinking. There's an analogy here to the slow food movement, I think that's quite a good one. That 30 years ago, uh the idea of paying lots of money and and going to lots of hassle to to buy organic or to think about where your meat comes from, for example, was alien to most people. And now a huge corner of the market is organic or free range. And I wonder if if we couldn't sort of have a cultural uh, shift that's a bit like that in terms of social media so that, so that we start rewarding social media companies that begin experimenting with ways to unhook the addiction. I think Apple could be quite useful here because Apple doesn't make money from uh, social media Apple makes money from devices. The, the, there was recently at the at the con- consumer electronics uh, event in Las Vegas, which they have every year, which is the biggest um, m- biggest tech event in the world. Apple bought the side of a whole skyscraper and uh, with a pho- with a picture of an iPhone, and it just said, "What happens on the iPhone stays on the iPhone." In an homage to like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Um, and so I think they're putting their finger on. They're, they're now consciously starting to target the fact that everyone is sick and tired of. Uh, of Facebook and Google spying on them and that if you could, for example, be, just be a little bit more self-aware about how much your time you're spending on what, then you could start nudging yourself in a healthier direction. If you uh, updated your software update, <laughs> you would know that <laughs> That Apple, they now do tell you that. They have yeah. a thing called screen time. Yes, I, I do have that. Yeah, oh, you yeah, have yeah I do that. have that. Okay. Yeah, that was more. So I, I wrote it down in my, I, I write a journal every morning. I'm trying to do it every night too. But I did write down one of the things that I need to do is there's a passcode in the phone. Like say, for example, even though, let me just rewind for a second. I was talking to my brother last night who has an infant child and he said, oh, I'll let you guess. You've got kids uh, of this age. What's the Queensland Health recommended amount of screen time for a kid zero to two? Zero probably. That's exactly right. And the thinking behind it is um, being bored is an integral part of brain development at that time of a child's life. Mm. Because, Does that include television? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my kids get 20 minutes of, uh, of wiggles. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, he's like, no, no, no. Just like I'm going to have to – this is where my imagination starts to develop. Yeah. This room isn't changing. Nothing in it. This is changing. I'm looking for stimulus. I'll either imagine it using the pictures in my brain mm. or I will – stack rocks or try to mm. use this toy in a way that I'd never used it before mm. or that creative thinking starts developing at that point. And we had this conversation last night. Can your brother come to our place at four in the morning to deal with the kids when – Yeah, probably. When They'd be thrilled to get away from when- his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he traded his for yours. And in the same way that you would give a kid a, a device and because this thing has the ability to do it now, you put a passcode on it and go, there you go, there's your 20 minutes a day. Oh, right. Give it to yeah. the kid. And if the yeah. kid wants it 
more, they have to give you the device because there's ask for more time. Mm. So you then have to give it to the parent or the carer and the carer has to go, well, all right, only mm. if you or because you or no. There'd have to be no override though because the, otherwise you're the bad guy. Um, no, there's no override. You have to put a passcode in. No, no, no. But I mean, there'd have to be not even a passcode. If it's if it's with the kids, then they can't come to you. You'd have to you'd have to have the excuse of saying, "There's nothing I can do, kids. I can't. I don't even like even Daddy can't turn it on. Otherwise, they'd be like, Dad, stop being so mean.' Not, not yet. We're not okay. there yet. <laughs> right. But I am most definitely. So you have to put a passcode in. Yeah. So at the moment, I know the passcode. Right. It's not working. I'm definitely considering. I'm a f- I'm a f- four weeks off being 45. Yeah. I think I'm going to give my wife the pin code <laughs> to my screen time. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't for it? For that will be the way to control it. Yeah. Okay. We are primates. Yeah. I've we, been we hacked just, that much. Yeah, that's that right. I can't Absolutely. put this fucking thing down. No, I mean, it's the same with me. I have an, I have a, an app on my computer called Freedom, and that's how, I w- that's how I was able to write the Melbourne Comedy Festival show because I'm so stupid that I would go and surf other websites. All Freedom does is disconnect your uh, laptop from the internet with the exception of whitelisted sites. So Google Docs is the only site that I can access between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. every day because that's where my scripts are. And if I want to open open anything else, then I have to restart the computer. Uh, It's crazy that we need to do do these things to ourselves. You would imagine that human beings would be smart enough to just yeah. go, you know what, don't do anything else between 6 and 10. But we're not. I have to turn my phone off and have freedom on my com- on my yeah. computer. And that's the reality. Yeah, you're right. Maybe that maybe that'll become more of the norm with devices. I'm the, I'm a grown man. I pay tax. I have, you know, my shit together enough to have a mortgage and, you know, there's food in our fridge and I've, you know, I've proven that I am responsible in certain ways. Yet I am powerless over this fucking thing because mm. it has altered I have allowed it. I have allowed it to alter my behavior so intensely that I put more import on putting that pin code in and having another five minutes with my little train game. Yeah. It's a really good train yeah, what, game. It's a train game. It's a train like game. Like a choo-choo train. Yeah, you, boop, boop. you draw subway maps. You draw subway maps. Oh, wait, I'd love this. It's so fucking good. I'd love this. <laughs> Dude. You don't know this about me. I'm a big like transportation fan. I love planes, aviation, like travel hacking. I love subways. I love... I don't know if I want to show you this. In one. New York, I would always... Uh, I, I would always know exactly where on the platform, on the on the subway platform, to stand in order to make it out at the exit, at the correct exit for where I was going. For which station you were going to from? Where yeah, exactly. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so it's a, I think it's an Australian game too. Wonderful. It was designed here. It's oh, called, she's showing me this on his phone. Okay, so as we here's speak. the New York City. You used to live there. Yeah. Right, so you tap there, and then it starts. It takes you there. And then here's New York. You recognize it. There's Manhattan. There's Brooklyn over there. Here's wow. New Jersey on this side. And you start building it. And oh, I'm going to draw a little train line here from Brooklyn across the. That's the seven. Yeah. Basically. There we go. Yep. And then. And the E. Oopsie. The people down here want to yeah. get to that station. Okay. So yeah. let's go there. Okay. Oh, hang on. Now we've got a triangle station. There we go. You can speed it up. And then. You're and your little train goes chugging along. I draw subway maps. <laughs> I draw subway. I'm currently stuck in St. Petersburg. I'm trying to get St. Petersburg to work because it's but over a very a tricky thing. archipelago and you need I lots. think this is good. I think this is good. I think that's fine. I think that's like uh, Sudoku it or is a, a crossword. It is fine. It's a lot until, better than arguing with people on Twitter. But this is fine until I want to do this more than tuck my kid into bed at night. Wow. Depends whether your kid wants you to talk or, I, or, or I want to, you know, engage with my wife or I want to think about something that was troubling me in my day and have some cognitive mm. resources put to sorting something out of my head mm. instead of avoiding that and drawing train maps on St. Petersburg, which is what I've been doing. 
I would love it if the phone rang right now and it was the chairman of the St. Petersburg Transit Authority saying, oh, sure. we we're you. in big trouble. What are you doing? We need new subway map. This is terrible. We have been spying on your phone. You are brrilliant. <laughs> it's like, uh, what's that movie? Uh, uh, Last Starfighter or Ender's, <laughs> yeah, Ender's Game. I'm yeah, the yeah, Ender's Game. Exactly. I'm the Ender's Game of subways. They're going to come to me, a, a van will pull up and be like, we've been watching you for months. No one can do it like you. Come with us. We're going to this particular city in Shanghai in, city, in China and we need, we need your help and then cut to me in this massive like, train I've room. been here before in the app. I've played this. He's here. The one is here. <laughs> There's a whole montage of me planning the thing. It'd be brilliant. Uh, so nuanced conversation is very important and, and, and shutting off is very important. And um, this is very much, that's the kind of a moving away behavior that I was describing earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's the moving away. It's the not putting the time into, okay, I feel a bit icky about it. And this is why you also don't want to yeah. have nuanced conversations because you're like, okay, what Josh was talking about, about that school in Birmingham, that's kind of troubling. I'm a centrist kind of like I'm a centrist person who who walks with a limp that draws me to the left a bit. I'd say mm. you know because I feel you know I'm some I'm rightish about some things, but I've generally I'm like let's all be nice to each other, mm. okay? That includes you mm. um, because if we're going to all want to be this, let's be nice to each other. You're going to have to be a part of that if that's okay because mm. that's the general social. Well, construct I mean, that we I have. think I feel like when we were little, let's the let's all be nice to each other side of politics was clearly the left, but. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case anymore. I mean, if if you if you came across a social media argument and you were going to see someone being sanctimonious and condescending and dismissive of another person's point of view, is it likely that that person is going to be, you know, a, a supporter of treasurer Josh Frydenberg, or is it likelier that that person is going to be a Me Too feminist? I would say swap the avatar out and change the 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 proper nouns and it doesn't matter. I'd say the polarization having been, you know, witness to attacks from both sides. It's like the thing about attacks from the right and I put myself on the left um politically, but the thing about attacks from the right is that I find that people are generally interested in figuring out what you actually believe and disagreeing with you about those things. The attacks from the left are, um, you know, today I got into a, I was attacked from supposedly mansplaining. It's got nothing to do with what I was talking about. It's got nothing to do with the nature of the conversation. It's just because I was make I was taking a position that contradicted what another person was taking, and that person happened to have a vagina, and so then I've done something called mansplaining. That to me is just a disingenuous move. That's just a kind of dickish chess move, and so. If, if your priority is let's be nice to one another, I don't think that's a nice thing to do. I don't think accusing me of mansplaining is a nice thing to do if all we're doing is having a conversation about a thing. Engage with me about the thing. It's a sort of a cheap personal shot. And there's a lot of cheap personal shots from the left. Yeah, I don't know. It does, it does bother me. And it bothers me about just generally... I'm not even going to say left. I'm just going to say not right politics, mm. not right wing politics. Well, yeah, the social justice. Put it this way: the social justice left. I'm not talking about not the SJW, not all that way. Yeah, sure. Okay, no, yeah. or just anything that's not just so completely aligned on this polarized. You know, white people are good, brown people are bad, coal is good, anything else is bad. You know, and we're all going. It just galvanizes that side, and anything to the left of that. 
it seems the further left you go, the more willing people are to chop each other off of the ankles with a hatchet for um, it just fractures into this identities of, mm. you know, you're not respecting my, it's like, well, come on, you know, it just, and that's for me, it, I get sad because that side of politics just can never get its shit together. Yeah, well, we're constantly they, killing our own. We're, we're in a circular firing squad waiting busy. for someone to, to use the wrong transgender pronoun and then get a bullet in the head. Or, or you know, ex or, or exactly, you know, the idea that the two of you may feel very powerfully about, say, for example, clean energy, yet you, you know, one said something about, you know, the quokkas on Rottnest Island, and so therefore you hmm. can't speak to that person ever. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about clean energy briefly as an example, because I know that it's something that you're extremely passionate about. So I was on the drum and we were talking about climate and I said, Look, the guilty little reality is that Australia doesn't have to do anything about climate. It just has to be seen to be doing something about climate because our overall emissions are such a small fraction of the planets that what's going to matter is what China and India and the United States and the EU do. Uh, so our role is as an upstanding sort of global leader um, but it would be totally possible for us to put together a policy that made it seem like we were doing something and encourage everybody else to do something while still getting the benefit of having cheap coal and not much would actually change. Now, that's a pretty unethical position unless you believe that the only thing that you should care about is your nation's economic interest. But I, I, I was surprised that that then put me in the same camp supposedly as climate deniers right? That the climate purists are like, everybody has to be doing everything to stave off climate catastrophe. And for me to point out that we are a fraction of a percent of the world's emissions, but not to say that it doesn't matter, and definitely not to deny the reality of a, a, a true climate catastrophe that is already happening, uh, yeah, made, made me the enemy. Because any deviation from the orthodoxy puts you on the other side. It's not healthy. It's uncomfortable to think about nuances though, Josh. And I yeah. think that's why people want to go, they have time, you know, before that screen time kicks in, before the passcode is asked, you know, I want to know how I feel about something. I will look here, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, okay, mm. therefore I feel good. All right, yeah. that's it, done. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to sit down and talk about, well, okay, what's our role as a, you know, democratic, you know, westernized, economically powerful nation, we need to be showing that we're doing something, also showing an example, showing that we're playing our part, um, perhaps even testing an economic model that might work elsewhere yeah, on, on, sure. our, on our small little, you know, island. Mm. It's not small, but, you know, essentially we're <laughs> lucky. That's tricky to talk about. Uh, in the in the you know when you when you look at the numbers, um, you just want to know quickly. You want to know quickly. So what's just say for example, people are uh, are finding themselves getting hooked in, getting baited, getting getting flooded uh, with emotion. How what's a, what's an intervention you could throw in? What would you suggest? Well, um, speak plainly, and be generous towards other people who speak plainly. Um, you know, as a as a, as someone who is married to a guy and has surrogate twins, I'm in an unusually sort of politically correct sub-community uh, in terms of being same-sex parents and having a family and so on. So I actually experience on a, day, on a daily basis how other people engage with that. And 
the weird thing is the most uncomfortable scenarios that we find ourselves in are with the most politically correct people who who are so cautious who are so anxious about saying the wrong thing or using the, the wrong word or something that they make everything uncomfortable for all of us whereas like so you know if we're in a I don't know if we're getting a time meal in in Newtown and somebody uh, you know, who is very, very, a very earnest Greens voter comes up to us and says, oh my goodness, are you, t- oh, and these your, ch- and did you have a, so did you have like a, uh, a, uh, like, uh, did you use a, uh, like a surrogate and who, who so who, would, I, I hope you don't take any offence at the questions, but I just think it's so fascinating and I, you know, I voted yes, but I th- absolutely think that this is just such an interesting, and so did you have, who was the, and was there an egg and who, how did, and you're like, just ask me the question you want to, you know, if it's, if you're in, a working class RSL club, then the builder walks past and goes, bloody hell, a couple of kids, how'd you do that? And you go, sorry, Christine. He goes, good on you. That's preferable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's preferable. He doesn't care. He's not worried about offending us or asking yeah. the wrong question. So I think one thing that you can do is just assume, give people the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're behaving in good faith and speak plainly to other people. Uh, let's put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> it's a little bit long. I'll figure it. I'll make it an acronym. Very large. It'll be brilliant. Huge T-shirt. Josh, I'm so grateful that you came around. It's a wonderful pleasure. I have no idea how to think about the the logistics of you with your young children uh, and you going to the Melbourne International Comedy Festival for a month. Yeah. There's a lot of flying back and forth. Careful with that. What, the flying back and forth? Yeah. Why? It's just going to be a punish. Well, yeah. Yeah, but the whole sure. thing's going to be a pun. My yeah. life is a punish. Yeah, but you I chose work it, a lot, which is I great. chose it it's, exactly. It's deliberate, which is beautiful. Yeah. I'm super grateful, and uh, I think we should race each other to Stephen Fry as guests on our show. <laughs> oh, I think God. that'll be great. I can't it's wait to hear your chat with Sam Harris. It's a challenge. Oh, God, that you're, I know. you're just connected to podcast royalty. You're my. You've been on Joe Rogan probably six times. You've probably been on mm. more than most people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I am royalty. It's true. I'm incredibly, incredibly uh, important. Did he give you like a souvenir kettlebell or something? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Um, he gave me some bulletproof coffee and uh, and some edibles. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, look, I'm I'm really kind of interested in what that particular show is doing for a huge swathe of the male population, mm. and they're having like, as you very very well mentioned, like it may he may not have guests on that you know, align with everybody politically, but he has a guest on like, this is two and a half hours. Yeah. So let's give this two and a half hours. Also, this isn't, I mean, three, this that, isn't three, three minutes on a CNBC. When you say like, what can people do to be, to, to escape the trap of predictable, mediocre thinking and addiction to devices and addiction to polarized debate? I mean, one thing you can do is just consume more media like Joe's. I mean, really podcasts like yours and like mine and like Joe's are are worthy places to throw around ideas. And you're not going to agree with everything that gets said. And I wouldn't say this is not like a kind of, hey, let's reach out and be all kumbaya and consume lots of stuff from the other side of the aisle. So that means that you have to start watching um, Andrew Bolt or, uh, you know, Fox News. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that- I wouldn't dare take <laughs> Andrew Bolt's numbers into the uh, above 5,000, you know. <laughs> No, I know nobody. What this? That's a funny thing about Sky it's News, isn't it? Nobody, nobody, nobody watches. watches nobody watches that channel. Uh, it's hilarious. Like my weekend breakfast show before Insiders gets, I think, about ten times what prime time at like eight in the morning on a Sunday 
gets, I think, 10 times what primetime Sky News gets. Not to brag, but like, you know, seven or 800,000 instead of, whereas they get like, I think, 40,000 or something. So like 120th or something. Anyway, um, so listen to Joe Rogan's show. If you hate Jordan Peterson, at least read his book before you, you hate on him. Everybody's got a fucking opinion about Jordan Peterson and they haven't read his book. You know, actually, re- actually try to engage with thing with things that you might that might just slightly push you, rather than assuming that because you tick the checkbox of being in the political camp that you're in, that means that you have to have a certain attitude towards absolutely everything. You know, the world's a complicated place. You can pick and choose what your beliefs are, and it probably doesn't hurt to um, to be exposed to some people who disagree with you from time to time. And I think it's a very healthy way. And this is the other thing that I oh know I'm trying to wrap up, but this is the other thing that these algorithms are giving us they're giving us more of what we believe in yeah very very rarely if ever challenging us well they will give the interesting thing is that's a little bit of a myth what people say you're inside your own thought bubble and you never mm. see anything that you disagree with but i'll bet if i looked at your facebook feed there actually would be links to articles that people had posted that you didn't agree with but here's the thing they would be articles that you so don't agree with that they would be cartoon caricature versions of that really and are. you would uh, and it would also get you yeah. riled up and it would be totally unhelpful that's that's the problem it's like either f- either firm agreement or firm disagreement rather than that juicy muddy gray middle well i know we've, we've passed this point we passed this signpost maybe 45 minutes ago but uh one of the greatest things i ever did well, two of the greatest things i ever did was when i uh when my first marriage ended I basically logged out of that Facebook account and I never looked back. Really? I started a new one. Oh, wow. And I picked and chose only people that were now in my life. Yeah. And the other, and then I changed my name. Yeah. So there was only, you know, there's a Facebook. I, I live, my old identity lives on Facebook somewhere. Wow. And so it's there. And, you know, I think for a long time my Instagram. I wonder what he's up to. I don't know. Let's go my, and check my, on Andrew. My, my Instagram, yeah, my Instagram posted to it. And so people who I hadn't seen in forever would go, hey, man, I saw you went skiing. Like, yeah, right. I haven't seen you in mm. six years. I intentionally oh, but, didn't refriend you. Yeah, but, oh, you have been watching mm. my photos pop up in your feed as in whatever. Um, but, yeah, I don't – I do not check Facebook. I, I'm not on it. Mm. And mm. it's good. It's great. I, I have a, a group for this podcast. That's the only way I engage with Facebook. And even then it's it's uh, only to converse with people. It's a closed group. Mm. It's about 2,000 people in it. And that's the only time I'm ever on Facebook. Everything else has autoresponders going if you want me, email me. And mm. so if I get uh, like 100 messages, two people will be bothered enough to email me and then I can I might get all Josh Sepps and just ignore them. I mean, I think if, if everybody in the world did that, created a break between their social media past and their social media future and deleted their account and set up a new account, the world would be immeasurably better. It's pretty good. It's pretty good because then you only – you choose, oh, okay. I, yes, it was like it's very Marie Kondo. Yeah. Thank you. You're a great part of my life. I'm really grateful for you. Don't need you anymore. Um, In the bin. Thank you. I appreciate you, but no. Yeah. Uh, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a personal account or do you just have a, a celebrity page? Uh, it's just a page. Yeah. There's a, I, only, I only have an account to because you need an account to operate this stuff. Oh, okay. So there, there is one, but I think there's one other person on it and I think it might be my other one that mm. I needed because you needed one to start the other. I don't know. There's there's no Facebook that I'm not even friends with my own wife mm. on Facebook. <laughs> I'm glad you added the words on Facebook. Someone could just clip that. 
I'm not even friends with my own wife. There's a front yeah. page of the of the Murdoch yeah. tabloids right there. No, I'm, I'm not. in like, shock marital I early, revelation. I think early in our I relationship, hate my wife. early in our relationship, I, you know, I might have put in a relationship with, mm. but I, I haven't touched the thing since then. So I think might have been, that might have been the last thing I did on my personal Facebook was going in a relationship with Audrey Griffin. Yeah, and that's it. Well, if Facebook doesn't get you, Google will. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to Nokia's, Josh. Oh, honestly, it's not a bad idea. A friend of mine in uh, in LA has gone back to a flip phone that does nothing, uh, and he doesn't even have voicemail. He doesn't even have voicemail. So in fact, he'd been a period without a mobile phone at all, and he had a voice. He old had he bought an old voice. Uh, what do you even call them? Answering machine. Yeah. At home, and put a, put his landline up to a, an answering machine with a physical cassette in it, and people could leave a message and maybe get Did back he get from. Shit him, done? Or maybe Did he wouldn't. I still have a lot of work. I don't think it's about. I don't, I don't think it was about. It wasn't a productivity hack. It was a mental thing. It was no, like, but like, did he continue to have a life and friends? And oh, people? I see what you're saying. To the extent that he wanted to, he had the close friends who he wanted to um, socialize with, and that was enough. What's interesting is this episode will probably drop after I have enacted so many things that we've spoken about and all those things will make sense only when people listen to this. Yeah. Because <laughs> after this conversation, I'm like, right, as soon as you leave, I am I am on lockdown. I've got to change some stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I, this conversation. Good. Well, I, I hope that people take the opportunity to actually do it. And um, the other thing you should actually do is go to comedyfestival.com.au and get tickets to YouTube, my old Comedy Fest show. Oh, and also subscribe to my podcast. The, not only We The People Live... Hashtag with the people or one word. But also my Radio National show is available as a podcast and that's called The People Versus. I don't know why every show that I do has the word people in it. It wasn't intentional, but The People Versus is a different show from With the People Live. And it's also really good. It's like an it's like an ethics panel show about what's going on in the news. I love that you've been hired by the ABC because you'll never not be in our ears until you decide That's to right. retire. Exactly. I'll see you in the wretched section of the car park. Exactly, until someone cuts my brakes and I drive off the cliff. Thank you, Osha. <laughs> That was Josh Zepps. What an interesting cat. Um, if you like what he does, you can catch him if you're in Australia. He's on the ABC every weekend presenting the news on the TV. Um, he also is occasionally uh, on the radio, on ABC Radio National. His podcast is called We The People Live, and you can go and see his live show at comedyfestival.com.au for tickets. Um, and do, if you liked him listening to him here, you can find him on Twitter and let him know uh, at J-O-S-H-Z-E-P-P. Yes, a big thank you to everyone that helped make the show today. Thank you to Rachel Barrett, my producer, who um, made it that Josh and I could be in the same room at the same time. Andy Marr, my extraordinary audio producer, who's working tirelessly to make sure this show comes to you each and every week. Mike Mills, who made all the music. And uh, you, you for listening, because without you, there is no show. Um, it was bloody great to run into a bunch of people who do listen to the podcast at the Grand Prix last week. That was freaking cool, man. Thank you so much for coming up to say hey. It was really, really good to meet you. Um, uh, I'm going to go to bed because speaking of the Grand Prix, I'm recording this the night before the Grand Prix, but I was at the Grand Prix, but the actual Grand Prix is tomorrow. But you were listening to this yesterday. I mean, to, today up. It's so confusing. It's late at night. I need to go to sleep. Speaking of which, until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.